0: Well, we've been in this sermon series called Get Wise. This is actually our 10th week of of looking at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And the funny thing about what happens when I'm like just figuring out just where I want to lead us. My first plan was that we were going to spend about five weeks in Proverbs. Here we are on week 10 because there's just so much good stuff. And today I want to take you to this book called Ecclesiastes. All right. Let me read it to you. This is just the beginning of chapter 1, very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found in the Old Testament. It's right next to, right next to Proverbs and Psalms. It's considered um, a wisdom book. It's sort of a strange book. It's a different kind of a book. I'm so excited for us to look at it today. Let me read it to you. This is almost the whole chapter of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they never return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? It was here already long ago, and it was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's all I got this morning. Let's pray, okay? (laughs) Lord, thank you for this word. Um, This is a a wildly, wildly popular book, as you can imagine. Um, Very uh, positive and chipper message it communicates. Um, And, uh, you know, the birds wrote a song about it to everything. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn. Uh, The author, Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick, he also called Ecclesiastes the truest of all books. The most trustworthy of all books, Herman Melville called it. Um, it you might be wondering, if you're, this isn't your first introduction to Ecclesiastes, you've wondered this, and if you're sort of new to the Bible, I, you might be asking this question yourself. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this here? Um, I thought the Bible was supposed to be encouraging. I thought it was supposed to be helpful. Why is the book of Cl- Ecclesiastes in here? It seems so depressing. What I want you to see this morning and next week, and then we'll sort of be done with this whole, whole sermon series, we'll move on, as. Is uh, it's not depressing. Actually, this is not a depressing book. It seems like it, but it's because we don't quite understand how this book is trying to communicate to us. We heard the words of this professor, this teacher, but this professor is sort of trying to teach us in a way that's supposed to lead us to some uh, some really really deep truths. I said last week that today would be uh, a little bit of a. A philosophical sort of a sermon because Ecclesiastes just begs us to get philosophical. I I told you last week this week would be a good week for you to invite a friend who is an atheist or an agnostic or you know just somebody who just doesn't not sure if they believe any of this stuff. Um, so if you if you took me uh, if you if you took me up on that maybe you brought a friend or maybe you're here and you're thinking I don't know if I believe any of this stuff. I'm so excited to introduce you to the book of Ecclesiastes because the book of Ecclesiastes is 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 it's pushing us. It's, it's asking some big questions. And uh, I don't know if I'll convince you of thinking differently this morning, but I'm so excited for you to sort of interact with this professor and what this professor is trying to show us. Um, if you're a believer you know, and you, you know, you're, you, you're convinced of who God is and who Jesus is, then what I know about you is you've got friends, you've got family members, you work with people who are sort of very opposed to, you know, to many of the things that you believe about how the world works and, and who's in charge of it all. And so Ecclesiastes is, le- is helping, is giving us language to just know how to, how to look at somebody else's worldview and how to ask deep questions. So wherever you land this morning, the book of Ecclesiastes is so helpful. Let's start at the beginning. It starts out by saying the author um, is a most, most likely Solomon. Solomon is son of King David, who's very wise and smart, uh, he introduces himself as the son of David, but he calls himself the teacher. And the word teacher isn't necessarily quite the perfect word for it, because what he's doing here in this book is not necessarily... He's, he's teaching, but he's teaching in a certain way. Um, a better word to sort of translate this word teacher is professor. Professor. This is, this is a good professor. And like every good professor, a good professor knows that they shouldn't just come and just just give information. A good professor is going to come in and ask difficult questions. A good professor is going to come in and maybe play some devil's advocate. A good, a good professor is going to come in and say, oh, you believe that. Well, why do you believe that? And then it's like, oh, that, that isn't the yes or no answer. He, he, I thought they were asking. And then it, it just it prompts students to have to really dig down deep on what they believe and why they believe it. When I was in seminary, I had a really, really great uh, professor who, was, uh, who he, he was trying to teach us some things about some, some other theologians, past theologians who have lived before us. And so what he would do is he would, he would say, class, I brought a guest speaker this morning. And the guest speaker is out in the hall. Let me go get him. And they're going to share some things about some some Celtic, uh, some Celtic, uh, you know, theologians that I want you to know about. And he would leave the room and then he would come back in and just wearing like, just like a, a different vest or something, or he would just change his jacket, you know, and he would come back in and he'd be like top of the morning to you. Oh, you know, hey, hello, and and for the whole rest of the class, he would just sort of embody what a you know this Celtic philosopher or theologian that he was trying to teach us, and then we would just have this dialogue with him, and and uh, you know he would he would role play, and we would we would ask questions, and he would answer based off of what that theologian might have said to our questions. And one of my favorite professors, but that's what this professor is doing. That's why when you read it on first hand, it's like meaningless, meaningless. Why is this so depressing? But this is a good professor good professor the key to understanding this book it shows up 27 times in the whole book of ecclesiastes the key to understanding this this book is right in verse three it says this it says meaningless meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun the phrase under the sun comes back a bunch of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the, everything is meaningless. Where? Under the sun. Under the sun, everything is toil. Under the sun, under the sun. What does the professor mean when he's saying everything is meaningless under the sun? What does it mean? Well, he's imagining that he's talking to a group of people that have a worldview um, a very naturalistic worldview who believe, he, he assumes he's talking to a group of people who believe that there is no supernatural, that there is no, there is no God above the, you know, above the cosmos, that all we have sort of to, to work with is what we can see and feel and taste and touch and measure. And so all we have is just what's in front of us, what's in this life right now. That's all we can be certain of. And the professor is, is sort of is, is thinking that he's, he's speaking to a group of people like that. He's speaking to a group of people like that in his day. And he is speaking to a group of people like that in our day as well. Because many people believe just that. That all that life is, is under the sun. That all that we have in our existence is just what we can see right here under the sun. There is no transcendent. There is no God. It's just us. Under the sun. I want to take you to, the, to, uh, to a book, First John Lennon. Um, the book of 1 John Lennon, um, there's this really famous song. In fact, I was doing some research, probably the most fa- famous song um, that's ever been written. John Lennon wrote this, this song called Imagine, all right? And I, it's, it's so well known that I could just start singing it and you could all just join with me. And we would just sort of sing it together, right? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Listen to this. No hell below us and above us only sky. Right? Imagine all the people living what? For today. Hey, hey. (laughs) Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Uh, Jimmy Carter has a quote that says that he, he and his wife have been to many countries around the world. And he believes that John Lennon's song is, most, is, is used most equally with, with all the different countries' national anthems. He goes around to every country on the planet and he's, you know, he's seen all these countries. And this song is sort of like akin to national anthems. And you hear the message of the song, right? Is imagine. Just imagine. Imagine if we could just live life under the sun. Imagine if there was, you know, above us only sky. Imagine. Imagine no religion. Imagine people would be, people would be happy. People would live in peace. If we, could just, if we could just sort of get rid of this illusion that there's something above us. And, you know, just focus on what's in front of us right now. Just living for today. Hey, hey, hey. Right? If we could just do that. Then things would be good if life was just lived under The sun. And the professor in Ecclesiastes is saying, you believe that there's above us is only sky? You believe that just life would be better lived under the sun? Deal. Deal. Let's assume for a second, the professor says, let's assume that that's true. Let's assume that all there is to life is just under the sun. The professor says, okay, I'm going to take a whole book and I'm going to talk about, let's assume that your premise of how the world works is correct. The professor then asks, where is meaning found under the sun? If above us is only sky, where can meaning be found? And that's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is poking and prodding at. And it's what you and I are after as well, right? The meaning of life. Where do we find meaning? That's a question that we all have. That's a question that you wrestle with in your own life. I talk with a lot of you college-age people, and you're thinking about the future and, you know, what you're supposed to do for a job. And, you know, and, and the, the, it's less really for, for you. Most people I talk to, it's less having to do with the money, and, and it has more to do with I just I want my life to mean something. I want my life to matter. We all feel that no matter how old you are. And the funny thing is, if somebody came to you, like if a friend came to you and said, and said Tommy, here's what I want you to do. I want, Tommy, I want you to meet me at 18th and Polk this Friday afternoon between the hours of 2 and 5, and I want you to stand on the corner. I want you to do that, okay? Tommy, please meet me 2 to 5, corner of 18th and Polk. Just, just, just stand there on the corner. What would Tommy ask? Tommy would ask the most obvious question, which is, Why? Why do you want me to do that? I need to know what the meaning is of me standing there. And of course, that would be the question that we would have. And if you have the question and if I have the question of how, why am I spending my afternoon doing something, then why don't we ask the same question about what I'm spending my life doing? If we're concerned about how I'm gonna, and how and why I'm spending my Friday night, or how and why I'm spending my money to spend on, on this four years of, or five years of school, then we should then step a question, take a step back and ask, okay, then, then what does life mean? What, what, what's the meaning of it? What, what, it? Where do I find meaning in it? Is, does my life actually matter? and the professor like a good professor anticipates sort of the normal answers that human beings have given to this to this big question where is meaning found under the sun and what's this, i love the bible so much this is so brilliant i mean just the, this every word is intentional every little th- every nod you know every sort of hyperlink someplace else is just intentional and the and the, the author of of ecclesiastes this good professor he anticipates the three sort of main philosophical um ideas that have emerged in the 20th century of how to answer this question where do we get meaning and he addresses all three he talks about um the humanistic approach the hedonistic approach and the existentialist approach all right three sort of like philosophical words so let me take you into a a philosophy class for a moment can i do that class can i do that with you all right Let's get into a little philosophy this morning. Here are these big three schools of thought, three of the biggest that have that have always been around, but, a, but really have emerged in this, in this last century to answer the question: where can we find meaning? Okay, and so the humanistic approach basically says: why are we here? Well, we're just here to make the world a better place. That's where we find meaning. We we just need to make the world a better place. The hedonistic approach says, Well, you know, life is pretty meaningless. But what we need to do is we just need to find joy and pleasure from life wherever you find it. We just need to find pleasure that's, and joy. That's, that's where the meaning of life comes from. And then the existentialist view basically says, yeah, life is pretty meaningless. But you just need to heroically face that fact and still live with virtue and honor and integrity. Sure, life is, you know, the world's meaningless and it's going to go away someday, but, but if you just face that boldly and just acknowledge it, and you, but you just live with meaning anyways, that's where a human being finds meaning. Okay? So, what does the philosopher say about all three of those approaches? The first one, the humanistic approach. This is the one that says, hey, one hopes that when it's all said and done, we've made a, we've made the world a better place. I've improved life for my kids. I've improved life for the rest of humanity. And the professor says, pish posh, nonsense. Professor says, that's utter nonsense. He says, you can't make a difference with your life. Listen, he says in in, uh, in verse 11, he says, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And if I had time to read you chapter two, all of chapter two is about, is about hey, you work so hard in your life, the professor says, and you, you gain this stuff, and then you pass it on to future generations, and who knows what they're going to do with what you did? Who knows if they're going to squander it, and just, who knows if anybody remembers you? The professor would say, hey, how much do you remember about your great, great, great grandparents? When most of us would say, well, not a lot. And, you know, and how much does somebody else know about your great, great, grand Well, nothing. They don't know anything. And we could get a little cheeky and we could say, well, yeah, but, you know, there's people that have really made a difference. And certainly people have made a difference. But like the other day, I was trying to explain who Elvis was to my kids. And Elvis is kind of a big deal. And so I was trying to explain to them Elvis and they weren't that interested. But, you know, now they kind of know who Elvis is. And I played him a song and they're like, okay, that sounds weird, but whatever, you know, they're not into it and but you know what about in a hundred years what about in a thousand years is anything going to be remembered (laughs) or think or maybe you are the ruler of the of the planet maybe you became the ruler of the planet and sure you're well known but what what happens in five thousand years some archaeologist is going to dust off you know the ducks are like a big deal in 5,000 years, somebody's gonna be unearthing and they're gonna find this O. And they're gonna say, wow, there was this God O that they worshiped, you know. <laughs> and the professor is saying, look, if life under the sun is all there is, which means that there's nothing after this life, then let's, let's just be honest. It's gonna go it's gone it's a it's a vapor it's a it's a mist it seems important now but in in 10,000 years it means nothing it means nothing he says life under the sun if that's really true then you can't make the world truly a better place what you do won't even be remembered. You know what it's like? I was thinking of a good illustration. It'd be like us being on the Titanic and all the boats, lifeboats are gone. And we're just there huddled, just sort of waiting for the inevitable. And then something, somebody like comes up from the lower decks and he says like, hey, guys, I painted a painting. It's so good. Very artistic. <laughs> or like, hey, guys, I made some killer hash browns down there. Amazing. Or even if it was something even better, like, hey, I cured cancer down under there. It's all cured. It's all gone. And what would we say? We would say, well, a little. It's not helpful at this point. None of that. Because it's going down. And the professor of Ecclesiastes says, don't you see? Don't you see? We can't find meaning in our life just from... We're going to make the world a better place. Because can we really make the world a better place? The next one is the hedonistic view, which is the one that basically says all we can do is just find some enjoyment in this life. And two of my favorite philosophers that talk about this are Pitbull and Neo. Let me tell you what Pitbull and Neo say about this. Um, (laughs) Pitbull and Neo say this. They say, um, this is the perfect sort of illustration of of the hedonistic view. They They say, I knew my rent was going to be late about a week ago. I work my booty off. But I still can't pay it, though. But I got just enough to get up in this club, have me a good time before my time is up. I know rent's important. I know there's other stuff. But man, you know what? If I could just get to the club and have a good time tonight, if I could just have the time of my life tonight, that's what gives life meaning. That's what matters. Now, I know that's sort of like a crass view because there's some like noble views, right? Some would say hey, where does meaning come from in this life? Well, it, it, it can seem meaningless, but hug a child, buy a boat, take a walk on the beach, look at a sunset. You know, it's, you find that enjoyment in life and that's what'll make you happy. In fact, another really great example of this is just this morning, I was in one of the bathrooms back there um, working on my hair, okay? Um, and um, I was in the bathroom and I took this, I took this picture because it was just sitting there in the bathroom. And here's what it says right there in the bathroom. It says, hey, teachers of the school, make the most of every moment. Do what makes you happy. Oh, so encouraging, right? Do what makes you happy. And the professor says, Bup kiss!" come on. The professor says, don't you know? Don't you know? Listen, here's what he says. The professor says this about this, this worldview. He says in verse, um, verse 8, I don't think I have it up on the screen, but in verse 8, he says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. In verse 13, he says, I was the king of Israel. I had everything. Everything that I thought was going to make me happy, I had it. And guess what I discovered? It didn't make me that happy. I wasn't as happy as I thought I was going to be. And I had everything. The professor just says, listen, under the sun, let's be honest, we don't know what makes us happy. Truly, we don't don't know what makes us happy. Have you ever pursued something that you thought was going to make you happy, and then you got it, and then you discovered, not happy, not happy, not fulfilled, it's not enough still. And then, don't we all know that stuff can't really satisfy anyways? We know that. And he says, if life under the sun is all there is, then really the only way to enjoy something is to sort of forget that at the core you believe that life is just under the sun and really essentially it's all just going to go away. He says, in order for us to enjoy anything in this life, then we sort of have to forget our philosophy. We sort of have to live in denial. C.S. Lewis has something so beautiful to say about this. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this whole thing. He says, you can't accept in the lowest animal sense, or you can't accept in the lowest animal sense to be in love with a girl if you know that all the beauties both of her person and of her character are a momentary and accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms. And that your own response to them is only a sort of psychic phosphorescence arising from the behavior of your genes. He says, you can't go on getting any serious pleasure from music if you know and remember that its air of significance is pure illusion. That you only like it because your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. I mean, he's, he's sort of poking holes in this thing of like, how, how can you, when you say you enjoy a, sun, a sunset, well, don't you know if life was under the sun and that's all there is and if there's no creator and if we're just sort of evolved animals, then really, then, then who's to say what's beautiful and what's not? You can't say what's beautiful and what's not. Because somebody might think it's ugly and they're prob- they might be right too. And you're wrong. You can't say that a sunset is beautiful. And your enjoyment of it is probably some natural selection thing that was built in you from long ago. And people who enjoyed the sunshine lasted longer than the people who didn't enjoy the sunrise. And, you know, that's why you survived this long. And, you know, and, and if you just start thinking about all that, it starts to just, you start to realize, man, why, why am I enjoying Man, it just takes the enjoyment out of it. And that's why this book seems so sort of bleak is the professor's like, you can't enjoy anything in this life. Life under the sun. Life under the sun. And then, the last one, and it's the, sort of the, one of the most interesting ones that we could spend a lot of time on, but I can't this morning, but it's the existentialist view. The existentialist view says, you know what? Life is meaningless. Sure, this is all going to go away someday. Life is meaningless. But you know what? I will not be. I will face heroically the meaninglessness of this life I will forge my own meaning in a cosmos that won't give meaning to me. And when human beings do that, when human beings just live nobly and rightly, rightly, even in the face of of despair, then that's what makes a human being a human. That's what what makes it noble. That's that's what makes us good. Um, In the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a lot of different philosophers that that, that, that really ran with this view. And they said that life is cruel, but I'm not going to live that way. And you know what, the perfect place to look to for this sort of philosophy is the movie Groundhog Day. Let's talk about Groundhog Day for a second. It's on Netflix streaming, by the way. I just saw it the other night and I got super excited. Because I love Groundhog Day. But you remember Groundhog Day? So he gets caught in this day, you know, where it's like every day is the same. And I'm sorry if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, you just, I'm just going to. You know, go, go watch Groundhog Day, all right? But he gets caught up in this thing where none of his days translate into pr- production for tomorrow. He's stuck in a day, and it's Groundhog Day. And at first, it's fun. At first, he explores the hedonistic approach. And he realizes that it's empty. It, nothing lasts until tomorrow. It's meaningless. And so, next comes utter despair. Remember the utter despair phase he goes through in that movie? Why, why is it even when he tries to kill himself in all sorts of ways and he just keeps waking up to that Sunny and Share song in the morning and it's just the same day over and over and if and then he's just in utter despair and then and then he helps this homeless guy get a get a cup of soup and this changes everything and now he starts to in the face of utter despair in the face of not even knowing if ever he's going to bust out of this day he decides that he's going to do kind things for others. He's going to start just building beauty into a life that's meaningless. And that's where the movie ends. He, he finds his meaning in, in doing that. And eventually, you know, he, he finds his way out. But that's what the existentialist says, is if we could just, if we can just sort of live in opposition to reality, then that's where we find our meaning. And um, we can be sort of cheeky when it comes to, to, uh, to Groundhog Day, but listen to Jerry Coyne. He's, uh, Professor University of Chicago, a famous uh, atheist slash slash uh, um, uh, yeah, famous atheist. Here's what he says: The cosmos doesn't give one iota of evidence for a purpose or for God. He says most of the universe is cold, bleak, airless, and uninhabitable. In fact, such a cosmology harmonizes far better with a secular moral picture than a religious one secularists see a universe without apparent purpose and realize that we must forge our own purposes and ethics and not derive them from a God for which there is no evidence. That's what humanity should do. Sure, there's no purpose in life. I have to heroically create it. And What this essentially is doing is sort of looking at the world and says, I know the world works that way, but I'm going to live sort of in opposition to how the world normally works. And do you know what you call people who sort of live outside of reality? Crazy. That's what you call people. And in fact, a lot of the existentialists, people like Camus and Nietzsche and um, Sartre and so many of those different philosophers, they, they went insane. They went insane just trying to find meaning in this life. To try to just create it. Because that's what crazy people do. And do you know what the professor, the philosophy professor says in Ecclesiastes? Listen to this. This is verse 17. He says, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness. I just tried being crazy. Not just like, not like jump over, you know, like, like jump into the bushes crazy. He's like, I just, I tried just like, just living in opposition. I tried being an existentialist. I tried, I tried that route, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. It's a chasing after the wind. There's two problems. Well, one, one big problem, just because I need to bring us in for a landing and bring it home this morning because still the sermon is still quite bleak. <laughs> If life is really under the sun, then where do we find meaning? And do you know what the problem is? The big problem with with us saying, you know what? I'm just gonna forge my own meaning in life. I'm just gonna create it. Do you know what the big problem with that is? Here's what it is. The big problem is this. Life under the sun is so very fragile. Life under the sun is so not durable. Why? Here's why. It's because of this. Listen to this. Self creating meaning, self created meaning can always be destroyed by suffering. Listen, if you try to create meaning, and there's so many beautiful things on this planet and there's so many things that we can enjoy, but listen, if you try to take those things and that's where you define your meaning from them, maybe it's your looks maybe it's your athletic ability maybe it's maybe it's caring for nature maybe it's i don't know whatever your thing is whatever whatever that whatever you wherever you look to to try, sort of find your meaning maybe it's what other people say about you or maybe it's maybe it's being the best worker at work or 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 maybe it's being you know the best dad there is out there or the best mom there is out there and those are all great noble things but if you take anything under the sun and make it be your meaning guess what it will always be taken away from you because suffering and death will take it all if suffering doesn't take it in this life death will death will you build anything you take anything on this planet and you make it be where you derive your meaning you are on shifting sand you do not have a firm foundation because when things are going well in your life, you're, you're, you're pumped. And when things are taken away from you, and when, you feel, and when you know, things aren't going well, and when the job's not working, the relationship, or the whatever, whatever, you're depressed. And do we as a culture live so like this? Everybody should say yes. We just live like this in our culture. Because we're doing what the philosopher is saying, please don't do. Please, if you want, believe that life under the sun is going to have meaning, well then let's check it out. Let's investigate it. And look, it's meaningless. It's a vapor. It's here and it's gone. It is not firm. You build anything in your life. I was outside the other day and Jeremiah and I were blowing bubbles and Jeremiah had a very deep philosophical thought. He said, Dad, do you think bubbles go to heaven? And I was like, No, son. I don't think bubbles go to heaven. And he goes, Man, If bubbles did go to heaven, heaven would be packed because every bubble dies. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Every bubble does die, doesn't it? And do you know what? Every one of you will die, we will die. And if life is under the sun, that is all there is, then meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Listen. And then here comes God. And God steps onto the scene through Jesus Christ and says, listen, I am going to give you a meaning that death and suffering cannot take away. Because life in Jesus, life lived in Jesus will give you a foundation and a meaning that nothing can steal from you. That the worst things in life can't steal from you. The cancer can't steal from you. The people speaking ill of you cannot take from you. That you losing your job cannot rob from you. That you losing your looks and getting, and getting old or just losing the use of your body. That none of those things can take away the meaning that we have. That's firm in Jesus Christ. Because God comes through Jesus and says, here's where your meaning comes from. It doesn't come from anything I've I've created. You can't find it there. It comes from me. I give you meaning. Because here I am, the Father, coming and saying, I'm creating you. And I'm creating you in my image. And you have value. Why, God? Because we perform? No. You have value just because I love you. Just because you're my sons and daughters, you have value. What, because, you know, we, we make money? No. Oh, because we do it? No. You have value. Your meaning comes from God the Father saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love you. And when you and I can build our meaning on that, when we take the professor's advice and we say, okay, life under the sun, that just... That just doesn't make sense. Meaning has to be found from somewhere outside of us. We have to be named by someone other than ourselves. And when we look and we we see our King Jesus coming and naming us and loving us and being our King, that will give you a meaning that is indestructible.